We're going to continue our lesson on what is the righteous requirement of the law. And last night we were talking through several different scriptures, and we started with Romans chapter 2, verse, 20, um, verse 28, that talks about the righteous requirements of the law. And what we looked through was what exactly does that mean? What exactly does it mean to keep the righteous requirements of the law? And so that's what we're looking through today. What is it that God requires of us when it comes to keeping his Torah? Is it to earn salvation or is it because we're saved we keep his Torah? Because we're saved. saved. So we were looking at, well, let's just start with, keep a finger here in Psalm. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 10 for those that weren't here last night. So in Deuteronomy 10, the Lord tells us what He requires or what He expects of us. Deuteronomy 10, starting in verse 12. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and to love Him? to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which I command you today for your good. So those five different words, fear, walk, love, serve, keep, those are the words that we're looking at in our study. So last night we started talking about love. And throughout all the scriptures that we've been looking at with love, love is an action. So when it talks about loving God, is it just a head knowledge or is it an action? So it's going to be love mixed with our faith. If we have faith that God exists, if there is a God, then we're going to love Him and we're going to obey Him. So how many of you believe that God exists? How many of you love the Lord? So you're going to, if you love the Lord, what does He say in John 14, 15? He says to do what? Keep His commandments. Keep His commandments. And is that just a New Testament concept? Absolutely not. It's all throughout the Scriptures. So now let's go back to Psalm 97, where we left off last night. Psalm 97, verses 10 through 12. Psalm 97, verse 10 says, You who love the Lord hate what? Hate evil. So those two things are diametrically opposed. Love the Lord. Those who love the Lord will hate evil. He preserves the soul of His saints. Where do we read about... What is the definition of a saint? Where do we find that? Revelation 14. We read about that in Revelation 14, 12. It says, Those who have the faith of Messiah and do what? And keep His commandments. It says, He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked one. Or the wicked. It should say the wicked one. Verse 11 says, Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at, give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. So if we love the Lord, what are we going to do? We're going to shun evil. We're not going to embrace it. We're going to hate it. And it says, if we love the Lord, it says He preserves the souls of His saints. Those who love the Lord and keep His commandments. And it says He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked one. And isn't that the prayer that Messiah prayed also? When He said, when you pray, you ought to pray like this. Lord, keep us, deliver us from the wicked one. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Verse 
Psalm 119. Verse 132. Psalm 119, 132. Psalm 119 is all about how, what an honor, how awesome it is to keep God's commandments. And Psalm 119, 132 says, Look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. So what if we don't love the Lord's name. Is His custom going to be to be merciful to us? So His custom toward those who love His name is to look upon them and to be merciful to them, to show them mercy. So if you want God's mercy, it says you have to love Him. Psalm 145. Psalm 145. And I apologize if there are people out in go to meeting land that can't hear me very well. I don't know if it's a problem on my end or if it just need, the, your um, program needs to be restarted. All right, Psalm 145, verses 17 through 21. Still looking at that word love. Verse 17. Of Psalm 145, it says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways, gracious in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in, in what? Truth. In truth. According to the Scripture, we just came from Psalm 119. According to Psalm 119, what is truth? Torah. Torah. So when we pray to the Lord, it says we need to pray to Him according to His word. We need to pray to Him in truth. Can He see right through a prayer that's not a real prayer? Absolutely He can. What does Proverbs 28.9 say about a person who turns away his ear from hearing Torah? His prayer is an abomination. In other words, He won't even hear the prayer. He won't even hear the prayer. Psalm, um, verse 19, it says, He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He also will hear, the cry, hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves or guards, that word is shomer, the, word, the Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless His holy name forever and ever. So who does the Lord preserve? Those who love Him. And if you think about that word shomer, that makes me think of... Um, the guardian of Israel ne neither sleeps nor slumbers, but who is he guarding over? Is he guarding over the wicked or is he guarding over those who love him? Those who love him. That's what the scripture says. All right, Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56. If you're familiar with Isaiah 56, you know what the topic is before we even turn there. Isaiah 56 is all about the Sabbath. And not just, not just about the Sabbath, but who's going to be keeping the Sabbath. Isaiah 56, starting in verse 6. It says, also the sons of the foreigner. Now I've got to stop there. When we see the word foreigner, what is that Hebrew word? Nakar. That's nakar. Now, the word nakar means a pagan. 
somebody who does not worship God. But it says, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve Him. So that means they are no longer what? They're no longer pagan. They're no longer worshiping other gods. It says, who join themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord to be His servants. Do you see the parallelism there? If you love the name of the Lord, you will be His servant. Everyone who keeps from defiling the what? The Sabbath. And holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain. My holy mountain refers to the kingdom, the messianic kingdom. And to make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for who? All nations. Now, who quoted that in the New Testament? Yeshua. Yeshua did. Messiah did when he was running the money changers out of the temple. Now, with Messiah being a rabbi, when he throws out a verse, what is he expecting the people around him to do? It, to do? Put it in context. So when he, when he throws out that verse and he expects people to put it into context, what is the context of my house of prayer? Should, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. That, mean, that means in the kingdom, we're all going to be keeping what? Sabbath. We're going to be keeping Shabbat. Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. So who is the Sabbath for? Is it just for the Jews? Is it how many, people, how many of you have heard it called the Jewish Sabbath? We, I think we read that this, this morning. I read it somewhere, heard it somewhere. The Jewish Sabbath. Does the Lord ever call it the Jewish Sabbath? Never. He never calls it that. He, call, he calls them my Sabbaths. Where does He call them my Sabbaths? Exodus 31, Exodus 16. Let's look back at Exodus 16. You're right. He does call them my Sabbaths. So look at Exodus 16, or actually, Exodus 31 is a better place. Exodus 31. And Ezekiel 44. We'll look at both of those. Exodus 16, he talks about the Sabbaths, plural, of the Lord. Are there more, is there more than one type of Sabbath? Yes, there's the weekly Sabbath, there's the seven-year Sabbath called the Shemitah, so there's, there's the high Sabbath, so there are all types of different Sabbaths. But look at Exodus 31, 12. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, So whose words are these? Are they Moses' words, or are they the Lord's words? They're the words of the Lord. Verse 13, it says, Speak also to the children of Israel. The children of Israel is a broad collective term for all those who have the faith of Israel. It says, saying, Surely the Jews' Sabbaths. The Jewish Sabbaths. No. Israel's Sabbaths. No. no, it says, My Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So, is it just because the Lord rested on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day, is that, is that why we keep Sabbath? That's one reason, but what's the big reason? What did the Lord say right here? If you keep Sabbath, it's a what? It's an oat. It's a sign that you worship the true and the living God. What does that word sanctifies mean? I believe it means to set you apart and make you different. So if you are sanctified, 
By keeping Sabbath, that means you are set apart. Now, if you tie that back to what we read in Isaiah 56, it says everyone who holds fast and keeps from defiling the Sabbath, what is he going to do? He's going to welcome them into the kingdom. Are we going to be keeping the Sabbath in the kingdom? Well, here's one place, but on the mouth of two or more, let all things be established. You said Ezekiel 44. So let's go to Ezekiel 44. So Ezekiel 44. So we read in, we read in Exodus 31, the Lord calls them my Sabbaths. So they belong to Him. Exodus 44, verses 23 and 24. Ezekiel. 44. Ezekiel. Sorry. Hey, I do it to you all the time, so you, you can do it to me. So <laughs> You understand. You get caught up in the moment, and you, you understand. All right, Ezekiel 23. 40, 44, 23. Okay. There's so many numbers. All right, 23, it says, And they shall teach my people the difference between the unholy and the holy. Talking about the priest in the, in the millennial temple with Messiah sitting on the throne and it says and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean so if we're going to be learning about the difference between the clean and the unclean in the kingdom does that mean that it's gone away verse 24 it says in controversy they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments they shall keep my laws and my statutes in some of my appointed meetings What's it say? In all of my appointed meetings. And they shall hallow what? My Sabbaths. My Sabbaths. So he told us in Exodus 31, these are my Sabbaths. He's telling us here in Ezekiel 44, these are my Sabbaths. And you'll be keeping them in the kingdom. Flip to um, Isaiah 66. This is not a teaching about the Sabbath, but since we're on the topic, we might as well chase a few, a few ibex, right? Isaiah 66. All right, Isaiah 66. Are we going to be keeping Sabbath in the kingdom? Starting in verse 22, it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Do you notice it does not say from one Sunday to another? It says from one Sabbath to another. So how important has this happened? Are we in the new heavens and the new earth yet? So this has not happened. This is yet future. And look what the Lord is saying. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh will come to worship before me. So why? So the Sabbath is a sign. But ultimately, what does the Sabbath teach? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. What does the Sabbath ultimately teach? Why is it so important to God? He mentions it in Leviticus 23 along with the appointed times of God. But it's the first one he mentions. He said, six days a week you may work, but on the seventh is a day of Sabbath rest. Why is that so important to God? In Hebrews 4.9, it says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Don't you wish the translators would have translated that word rest correctly? 
because it's sabbatismos, which means a Sabbath rest. So in verse 9 of Hebrews 4, it says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That is a Sabbath rest, a sabbatismos. So what does the Sabbath ultimately teach? It teaches the establishment of the kingdom. That seventh day, that 7,000th year, this, um, the Sabbath rest of the Lord. So ultimately teaching about the Messianic kingdom. All right, so this wasn't a teaching about the Sabbath, but since we, since we just happened to go that way, I just figured we would look at a few scriptures. So if we love the Lord, we're going to keep His commandments. That's, that's how we can sum up what we just talked about. So part of, part of showing the Lord that you love Him is honoring and sanctifying the Sabbath, treating it different from other days. All right, so next we're going to be looking at what it means to fear the Lord. So in Deuteronomy 10, the five different things he said to do. He said one of them was to love the Lord your God. Because according to Matt, what the Lord said in Matthew, he said this is the first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God. But we're going to look now at what it means to fear the Lord your God. The word fear in Hebrew is the word yare, which is Y-A-R-E. Looks like yare, but you would pronounce it yare. And it's Hebrew word 3372 in the Strong's Concordance. We're going to look at several scriptures about fearing the Lord your God. What exactly does that mean? Let's look at Deuteronomy 6. You'll notice throughout this lesson, when we look at all these particular words, you're going to notice that we go to Deuteronomy a lot. Because in Deuteronomy, that's the summation of the whole Torah right there. And what is it that, that God really wants us to get from Deuteronomy? This is how you serve me. This is how you obey me. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 says, Now this is the commandment. Literally in Hebrew it says, the commandment. So can we take God's commandment and break them, oh, let's say into moral, ceremonial, civil. Can we break them? Are there divisions in the scripture about those different kinds of laws? Or is it the commandment? It says, now this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Now, notice in verse 2 it says that you may fear the Lord. But what are you noticing comes along with that fear? Did he say, I want you to just stand there and tremble and do nothing? He says that you may fear the Lord, comma, to keep all my statutes and all his commandments which I command you. So fear is about being obedient. So that word fear is more than just about trembling. It's about being obedient. It's about reverencing the Lord. If you reverence the Lord, if you hold Him in high regard as the Lord, the Lord of the universe, what are you going to do? You're going to keep His commandments. You're not going to disobey Him. You're going to listen to His commandments. So if you fear the Lord, if you have reverence for Him and you obey out of reverence, if you obey out of fear, then you're keeping the commandments for the wrong reason. But why should you keep the commandments? 
Well, what did we just read about earlier? If you love me, keep my commandments. So that fear has to do with being obedient out of reverence. Let's look at Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, verses 5 and 6. All right, in Deuteronomy 8, this is a lot of the scripture that Messiah quoted to Satan. A lot of that scripture came from Deuteronomy 8. Verse 5 says, You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so your God chastens you. Now, what does it mean to chasten? Chasten means to discipline. So if God did not discipline us when we sinned, what would we keep doing? We would keep sinning. We would keep sinning. But when you commit a sin and the Holy Spirit lives within you, when you commit a sin and you know it's a sin according to Scriptures, you know it immediately. You feel that, you feel God convicting you through the Spirit for you to what? Is it for you to continue in it or is it to repent? It's to repent. God is calling you to repentance. So that word chastens in verse 5, down at the very end, where it says God chastens you, that word is at the form of that word is a PL participle. PL means it's strong action, strong emotion. So when it says God chastens you, if it's in a PL form, that means he's not just kind of switching you along. We're talking hickory. You know, we're talking, you know, he's getting out the belt. You know, he's moving you along. So when he chastens you, when it says a PL participle, that means he's strongly doing it, but the participle implies what? It's continuous. So when God, how often does God chasten us? Every day. What is he chasing us for? Chastening us for? Is it for our harm or is it for our benefit? If, if God is chastening you, just know in your heart that God loves you. If, if you're not feeling the chastening of God, then something is wrong. <laughs> something You might need to, to repent. So you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you, strongly chastens you. Verse 6, Therefore, because God chastens you, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in all His ways and to what? To fear Him. To fear Him. To obey Him out of reverence. So if you view Him as your Father, are you going to disobey Him? Or are you going to obey Him? You're going to obey Him. That, that just re reminds me of Malachi 1. So go to Malachi 1, talking about obeying the Father. So look at Malachi 1 real quick. Malachi 1, verse 6. Malachi 1, 6 says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? So if we view God as our Father, He says, if I am the Father, where is my honor? 
That's the whole idea behind fearing the Lord your God, is obeying Him out of reverence. Now, is there a New Testament counterpart or New Testament complement to this? Luke 6, 46. So turn over to Luke 6, 46. I don't want to see a counterpart because that kind of makes it sound like it's the opposite. But Is there a New Testament verse that supports this? That's what we're looking for. Luke 6, 46. This is their Messiah's words. It says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? So God is saying, if you're just going to give me lip service, and you're going to call me Lord, Lord, but not do one single thing that I say, He's saying, "Don't just, just save your breath. Just save your breath. Because those, those words, Lord, Lord, where have we seen those words, Lord, Lord? Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Let's go to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. But Daniel, I thought you were talking about fearing the Lord. This is all about fear and obedience of the Lord. If you view God as your Father, as your God, as your Lord, you're going to obey Him out of reverence. You're going to do what He says. Matthew 7, 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So those who do the will of the Father are obedient to the Father. They obey out of love and out of reverence. It says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So he's telling all these people, you're claiming to do all these things in my name, but what did you, what did you neglect to do? You neglected what I actually told you to do. So he said to them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. All right, let's go to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31. Normally when we go to Deuteronomy... Well, we are reading this part. Never mind. I was going to say normally when we go to Deuteronomy 21, we read about um, the reading of the Torah. And that's what we're going to be reading. We read about the reading of the Torah and who it's for. Deuteronomy 31.9. It says, So Moses wrote this law, talking about the book of Deuteronomy, and delivered it to the priest, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release. The word year of release, that's Shemitah. So if you've heard of the Shemitah, the mystery of the Shemitah, that's, a Sabbath, that's the Sabbath year every seven years. So at the end of the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, that's Jerusalem, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. It literally says, read it in their ears. So that means that they're going to hear it. Verse 12 says, gather the people together. Here's who. Here's who gets to hear it. Men and women and little ones and the stranger, the gayer, who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. Do you see the phrase, carefully observe all the words of this law? 
That, those, those two words, that phrase, carefully observed, literally in the Hebrew says, you will guard to do. You will guard to do. So when it says carefully observe, that kind of sounds like, yeah, when you observe something, you just kind of, okay, I'll think about it. But God is telling them through Moses, you will guard it to actually do it. So you're not just going to think about it, you're going to do it. Verse 13, here's why. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So the purpose of hearing the law read every seven years was for what purpose? That the people may hear and learn to fear the Lord. That's the purpose. So they will know how to be obedient and then helping them knows how to, how to fear the Lord and how to teach it to the next generation. Because where did Israel always fall short? Teaching it to the next generation. Because if you think about the book of Deuteronomy, who followed Moses? Joshua. When we read in the book of Judges, how many generations after Joshua did the children of Israel fall into idolatry? One generation. One generation. So the generation that followed Joshua fell right back into the sins that Moses said over and over and over. Because if you read in Deuteronomy, it says that Moses spoke to the children of Israel. When you see that word in the Hebrew, the word spoke means he was pounding the podium, so to speak. So he was really strongly trying to encourage them, don't give up, don't neglect following the Lord. And what did they do? They fell into the same vicious cycle they've been caught in since that time. All right, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Is it important to teach our children the words of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. 1 Samuel 12. All ages. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it sure does. First Samuel 12, verses 13 through 15. It says, Now therefore, so this is Samuel addressing the people, addressing Saul. It says, Now therefore, take now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. Who is Samuel talking about when he said, this is the king you wanted? He's talking about Saul. Here's the king you wanted. And take note, literally in Hebrew it says, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. What does behold mean? God doesn't, God doesn't just put words in there for no reason. What does behold mean? This is really important. Take note of this. The Lord has set a king over you. Did, did God want them to have a king? He, he wanted him, himself to be the king. But what did the people want? They wanted to be like all the other nations. So they wanted a king that they could actually see to lead them into battle. And God said, okay, if you want it, you got it. But you're not going to like what comes after it. You're not going to like the residual. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, 
then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. That is such a simple concept, isn't it? If you continue following the commandments of God, if you love God, if you fear God, if you hold Him in high regard, if you reverence Him, if you worship Him, He said, both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord and everything will, will be very well for you. But how does verse, 10, verse 15 begin? However, However I, I have a sneaky suspicion, I bet it's just and. But, you know, we've got to be poetic in the, in the English. So verse 15, However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be, what? Against you, as it was against your fathers. So Samuel is not mincing words here. He's saying, if you do not obey the Lord and fear Him and hold Him in high regard, watch out. Watch out. He said, the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. So Samuel's giving them a stern, stern warning. Did the people obey the voice of the Lord? Did they heed His voice? Did the king obey the voice of the Lord? No. Nope. And then what happened to Saul and his sons? Ultimately, they, they were killed. Alright, 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings 17. You know, I feel like 2 Kings 17 is a very powerful portion of Scripture because it lays out the sins of Israel and it lays out the sins of Judah. It's just kind of, a, kind of an itemized list of here's what you don't need to do. So 2 Kings 17, starting in verse 7. So after, this is around the time of King Hosea, who was the last king of the northern, of the northern kingdom. He was taken into Assyrian captivity. In verse 6, yes. Yeah, it says In verse 6, it says, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and, Isra and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halab and by the Habor, by the river Gozan, in the city of the Medes. Verse 7 says, And for so it was, here's why. Here's why they were taken into captivity. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared who? Other gods. They had feared other gods. What's that mean? They feared other gods. That means they were obedient to other gods. Verse 8, it says, And had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel which they had made. Also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. So that means all over Israel it says they built high places. What were high places? Pagan idols. Verse 10, it says, They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every hill and under every green tree. So talking about pagan worship, all the things that they did. Verse 11, it says, They burned incense on all, the hill, on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them, and they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. 
for they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, what? You shall not do this thing. Where did the Lord say, you shall not do this, don't worship me the way that the pagans worship their gods? That's Deuteronomy 12. That's Deuteronomy 12. He said, don't worship me in the way that they worship their gods. No syncretism. But they had fallen to the point where they weren't even worshiping the Lord anymore. They were just worshiping the idols. And he said, don't do it. You shall have no idol before me. That's in the Big Ten. Verse 13 says, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah, northern kingdom and southern kingdom, by all of his prophets, every seer saying, here's the message of the prophet. Every prophet that God sent, what was their message? It was turn. That word is shuvu. That's a, that's a command. Shuvu means turn and turn now. Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left a few of His commandments. It says they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves molded image, a molded image, and not just one calf, two calves, made a wooden image and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. Who brought in Baal worship to the northern kingdom? Old Jezebel. Old Jezebel. Verse 17, it says, And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. That's talking about Moloch. It's wicked, wicked. Practiced witchcraft and soothsaying and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Now, why is this here? What should Judah have learned? Hey, they saw the northern kingdom go into captivity. What should Judah have learned? To repent. To repent. They should have learned, hey... We don't like this. We don't want to be like them. We don't want to be cast out of their, our, our land. But what were the false prophets telling them? God won't kick you out of this land. Everything's fine. Don't listen to Jeremiah. Let's just go throw him in a pit. And what was So how many true prophets were there? There are very few in comparison to the false prophets. Verse 19. It says, also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in all the statutes which Israel, of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. He tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. What did Jeroboam do? That's important. What did Jeroboam do when he established the kingdom in the north? He put up two golden calves because what did he not want people to do? He did not want people to go back to Jerusalem. He didn't want the kingdom to be unified again. So he said, don't go down to the temple and worship God. I'll set up these golden calves for you right here so you don't have to go down to Jerusalem. Did that work out well for him? No, it did not. 
Um, Sam says, is there a New Testament verse for Deuteronomy 12? You shall not worship the Lord with such things. Um, I'll have, let, me, let me chew on that for a minute, okay? Verse 21, it says, For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat, the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. He had said by all his servants the prophets. So Israel was carried away from, from their own land to Assyria as it is this day. Okay, so I read all this to set the background for the, the rest of the chapter. Galatians 5, 19 to 20. Yep. You shall not worship the Lord with such things. Okay. So Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Yeah, and we could tie that to 1 Corinthians 6. So this is to answer... What's that? Matthew 5, 18 and 19. Right. All right. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. This is to answer Sam's question about the New Testament verse for Deuteronomy 12 that says, You shall not worship the Lord with such things. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who are practicing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, if you're doing all of these things that God said don't do, should we expect to hear, come on into the kingdom? No. And you mentioned Matthew 5, Wayne? Matthew 5, 18 and 19 simply says that no word that God commands is ever going to change. Right. Matthew 5, 18 and 19. So if God said, don't worship me that way, is God ever going to change his mind? God's never going to change his mind. Matthew 5, 18 and 19, it says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So if God said, don't worship me in this way, but yet you teach that God likes it when you worship him that way, what does Matthew 5.19 say? you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. All right. Matthew 4.4 4 reinforces Yeah, Matthew 4.4. 4. Matthew 4.4 4 says, But he answered and said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All right. Thank you, Sam. All right. Back to 2 Kings. Back to 2 Kings. All right, verse 24. 2 Kings 17, verse 24. All right. 
Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutah, Avah, Hamat, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. All right, so are these going to be good, godly people that are inheriting this land? No. No. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord, because the Lord sent lions among them which killed some of them. I'd be kind of scared if, some, if the Lord was sending lions among me too, right? Verse 26 says, So they spoke to the king of Assyria and said, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. That word rituals is the Hebrew word mishpat, judgments. The commandments, statutes, judgments, the mishpat. says they don't understand the mishpat of the God of that land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the mishpat of the God of that land. So why would God be sending judgment upon those people? What are they doing? They're sinning. They're breaking God's commandments. But they're not Jews. They're not Jews, but what does that show anyway? It applies to everybody. Verse 27, it says, Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Now, stop and think. What type of priest would have been taken from the northern kingdom? Would it have been priest according to the tribe of Levi? Or would it have been the priests that were over the temples of Baal, the, the, um, the golden calves? So what kind of priests are we talking about here? Are we talking about a true priest of God or are we talking about a false priest? Send there one of the priests whom you have brought from there. Let him go and dwell there and let them teach them the mishpat of the God of that land, the rituals. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel, what was at Bethel? The golden calf, right? And taught them how they should fear the Lord. So he's here. This guy, this false priest, is teaching them how to fear the Lord. Do you think he's teaching them how to fear the Lord correctly? No. Verse 29, However, every nation continued to make gods of its own. Are y'all surprised? Are you surprised? However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Sukkot Benot, the men of Kut made Nergal, and the men of Hamat made Ashima, and the, and the Avites made Nabhaz and Tartak, and the Sephirvites burnt their children in the fire to Adremelech and an Animalek, the gods of Sepharvaim. So, are they worshiping the true and living God, or are they just continuing the things which were, which they had, which had gotten Israel kicked out of the land? Verse thirty-two. It says, "So they feared the Lord from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places, who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord, yet served their own gods." according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. Now, doesn't that sound like very strange wording? It says they feared the Lord, but they continued doing the things that they had always done before. Syncretism. Syncretism. So they put on a show 
of obeying the Lord, an outward appearance, but what were they continuing to do? They were continuing to do the same things which had gotten Israel kicked out of the land. So is it any surprise that the priest whom they brought back into the land continued the same thing over and over and over? Verse 34, it says, To this day they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow the statutes do they, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law and commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he had named Israel. Now, we'll stop there. Notice in verse 33, it says they fear the Lord. Verse 34 says they don't fear the Lord. So what kind of fear are we talking about in verse 33? What were they afraid of that was going to come attack them again? They were afraid that lions were going to come attack them. So that word fear in verse 33 is talking about fear as in, I'm scared that a lion's going to eat me. But did they truly fear the Lord? Did they truly obey and reverence the Lord? That's what verse 34 is getting at. They were scared of judgment, but did they do anything to avert the judgment? No. And that's what verse 34 is talking about. So verse 33 is talking about they were scared. They were afraid of getting eaten by a lion. But verse 34 says, they, but they weren't really fearing the Lord. They weren't really obeying the Lord out of reverence. Alright, Psalm 112. Psalm 112. Psalm 112. We're just going to read verse 1. Psalm 112, 1 starts off with, Praise the Lord. How would you say that in Hebrew? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. This is an example of Hebrew parallelism. So, the man who fears the Lord is what? the one who greatly delights in His commandments. So if you fear the Lord, what are you going to delight in? You're going to delight in His commandments. Those two phrases are parallel. So one who fears the Lord greatly delights in His commandments. So if we think back to what we just read in 2 Kings 17, when it says the people did not fear the Lord, that means they did not... Delight greatly in his commandments. They were just afraid of getting eaten by lions. Alright. So we're going to move on to the next point. So we've talked about what it means to love the Lord. We've talked about what it means to fear the Lord. Now we're going to talk about what it means to walk in all his ways. The word walk in Hebrew is halak. H-A-L-A-K, halak. And it's Hebrew word 1980. And we're going to look at several places where the word halak is used. All right, let's start in Deuteronomy 28. Yes? What does it mean when you um, say the Hebrew number? Oh, the Hebrew number is part of the Strong's Concordance. So a concordance is where they take every Hebrew word, every Greek word in the Scripture, and every word has a number to help you reference it. Oh, okay. So that's, that's what it means, because a lot of people are listening online that have a 
concordance pulled up and they're just looking up the number. All right, you're welcome. You're welcome. And I can give you some uh, BibleHub.com, um, BlueLetterBible.com are all different places where you can find the, um, the concordance online. And it will give you more detail about how the word is used. Um, Deuteronomy 28. Read verses 9 and 10, talking about walking in all of His ways. Verse 9 says, The Lord will establish you as a holy people to Himself, just as He has sworn to you. It says if, but it should say because. Because you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. It says, Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you were called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. So, right here, do you see the phrase in verse 10 where it says, you are called by the name of the Lord? In Hebrew, it literally says, the name of the Lord is proclaimed over you. The name of the Lord is proclaimed over you. So, that's like a very, to me, that has more of a more profound meaning. So, like they are, the name of the Lord is proclaimed over them. That, like His protection, His blessing is proclaimed over them. Why is that important? What does that tie us back to about the name of the Lord? Think back to Exodus 34. Go back to Exodus 34. This will help that make a little more sense. Exodus 34. Because when Moses asked the Lord, let me see your face, what did the Lord say to him? I can't let you see my face. But he said, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. And then he walked by him, it says he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Exodus 34, 5. It says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, talking about Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So that's the same phrase used in Deuteronomy 28 when it says that the name of the Lord is proclaimed over them. So let's look at what it says. Verse 6 says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. That means he called out. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, talking about thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means what? Clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. If you tie that back to Exodus 20, what's, what, what part does Exodus 20 add to that? The third and fourth generations of those who what? Hate him. So when it says back in Deuteronomy 28, the name of the Lord was proclaimed over the people, he was saying, I will bless you if you walk in my ways. But if you don't, I will not clear you. And the ironic benediction. The ironic benediction from Numbers chapter 6. Yep. So if we look at Numbers chapter 6, this is also a blessing proclaiming the name of the Lord over them. 
Number, number 6, starting in verse 24. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put My name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Is He going to bless them if they're walking in disobedience? No. So if you go back to Deuteronomy 28, if they walk in His ways, then it says the name of the Lord will be proclaimed over them. But if you look down at verse 15, that's where the list of disobedience... If you're disobedient, here's what happens. So the first 14 verses are about, here are the blessings. From verses 15 on to verse 68, here's what's going to happen if you're disobedient. So how many of you want the name of the Lord proclaimed over you? Alright, Psalm 119, verse 1. We talked about that last night. Verse nine, uh, Psalm 119, verses 1 through 3. The first word says blessed, but really in the Hebrew it says happy. Happy is the, are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. So those who walk in the way of the Lord are what? Undefiled in the way. So there's more Hebrew parallelism. If you're undefiled in the way, you walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 2, it says, Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with the half heart. Whole heart. They also do no what? Iniquity. Iniquity. Is iniquity an occasional, uh uh-oh, I made a a boo-boo, I made an error? No. Iniquity is ongoing sin. Ongoing. Unrepentant sin. They walk in His ways. So the undefiled, the ones who walk in the way of the Lord says they do no iniquity and they walk in all of His ways. They walk in all of His ways. And it says they seek Him with the whole heart. You know, that kind of reminds me of Hebrews 11.6. Let's flip over to Hebrews 11.6 because that, that phrase, they seek Him with the whole heart, reminds me of the definition of faith. What is faith? Or So Hebrews 11.6 Hebrews 11.6, it says, But without faith, it's impossible to what? Please. To please Him. But remember, we talked about how that, mean, that comes from the word heat halak, which means choose to walk. So it says, Without faith, it's impossible to walk with God, to please Him. For he, he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek Him. Those who seek Him with the whole heart. So if you seek Him with the whole heart, you're going to walk in all of His ways. And that's exactly what verse 6 is getting at, because that word please Him comes from the word halak. It means to choose to walk with God. If you make a conscious choice to choose to walk with God, kind of like Noah did. Noah chose to walk with God. Enoch chose to walk with God. And what what happened with them? Things were well with them. Things were well with them. And things are going to be really welcome judgment day for them. Psalm 128. 
Psalm 128. All right, so Sam said, is there also Hebrew parallelism? Psalm 119, 1 through 4. Yep. Yep. Lots of it. Lots of it. Yep. Psalm 119 is pretty much nothing but Hebrew parallelism. All right, so Psalm 128.1, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. So we just talked about what it means to fear the Lord. What are the two parallel terms there? Those who fear the Lord are the ones who do what? Walk in His ways. ways. Ones who walk in His ways. And those who walk in His ways, they have to make a conscious choice. They have to make a conscious choice. And that ties it right back to Hebrews 11.6. Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2 verse 2. Isaiah 2.2 2. says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. What is that Hebrew phrase? Acharit Hayamim. Acharit Hayamim, Acharit Hayamim means literally the end of days. So it shall come to pass in the end of days. So has this happened yet? No. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. That mountain is referring to the Messianic kingdom. And it says it will be over all the other kingdoms and all the smaller kingdoms of the earth. That's what the mountains and the hills refer to. And all nations shall flow to it. Wait a minute. Shouldn't that say all all Jewish people flow to it? It says all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So it says, He will teach us His ways, we'll walk in His paths. So His ways are His paths. The law shall go forth from Jerusalem. So when it says, for out of Zion or out of Zion shall go forth the law, what's parallel to the law right here? His ways, His paths, the word of the Lord. All of those phrases are parallel. That's the wonderful thing about Hebrew parallelism. If you don't, wanna, if you don't understand what one thing means, just keep reading and you'll find out what it means. That's the great thing about Hebrew parallelism. It sounds redundant, but it's there to help us clarify our understanding. So, we have four words here, or four phrases that refer to the Torah. His ways, His paths, the law, the word of the Lord. Ephesians 2. So now we're going to the New Testament. Do you think the concept of walking with God is going to be different in the New Testament? Well, we just read in Hebrew, so we know the answer is no. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, talk about walking with God. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. Can, so can we save ourselves? No. We cannot save ourselves. Great faith, or salvation is by faith. But what did we read in the book of Hebrews? Without faith, it's impossible to what? Please to please God. And really that could be translated as to walk with God. So without faith, it's impossible to walk with God. So if you want to please God and diligently seek God, you're going to have to walk with God. And you're going to have to walk in the same direction as God. Verse 8, or verse 10, it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So you mean these good works were not just something that He just sat down one day and said, how can I burden the people? How can I put a heavy yoke? It's so hard to bear on the It says, these good works were created beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. So if we walk in those good ways, those good works, those are works that were created for us beforehand. So how long has the, has the Word of God been? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 13. Still looking at the word walk. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, which means be in your right mind, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. So he said, Peter says, before you were saved, you were ignorant, especially of the things of God. So now that you are saved, now that you are, are walking in the ways of God, look at what verse 15 says. But as he called you, but he who... But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in some of your conduct. It says all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Boy, this is a power-packed verse right here. Verse 15, do you see the word conduct? The word conduct comes from the Hebrew word halak. So you should be holy in all of your walk. You should be holy in all of your walk. So how you walk, how you conduct yourself should be holy because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now, Peter being a rabbi, he's going to throw out a verse and he's expecting you to put it in context. Where do we see the phrase, be holy for I am holy? That's Leviticus 11. That tells us what's the difference between something that's clean and something that's unclean. So let's look back at Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11. So the mere fact that Peter is quoting from Leviticus, does that mean that the law was abolished, nailed to the cross when Messiah died? No, it doesn't mean in Acts 10 God told them to eat pigs. That's right. So here's my, here's my thinking. Just something for you to chew on. If the law was abolished and it was done away with, Peter would be quoting from a dead book. I don't quote from the Quran. 
I don't quote from books that I think are done away with or that don't apply. So the fact that Peter is quoting from the book, he's calling it Scripture. He's calling it holy. And he's saying, here's where you find the definition of holy. Leviticus 11, verse 44 says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That literally, defile yourselves literally means to make your soul unclean. So when you eat unclean things, I'm not going to call it food because if it's food, it's not, un it's not unclean. If you eat something that's unclean, what does the Scripture say? It says it makes your soul unclean. It defiles your soul, your very being. Verse 45 says, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So, does God dwell in the midst of uncleanness? That's the, the point he's trying to get across. I do not dwell in the midst of uncleanness. Because we are the temple of the living God. Where does it, where does it talk about not, letting, not touching the unclean things? Now, 2 Corinthians. Let's look at 2 Corinthians real quick. Okay, then I have a question. You have a question. Go ahead. Okay. This may be way out there, but... Okay. Um, okay, so Yeshua rode on a donkey. Yeah. And a donkey is unclean. But it wasn't a dead donkey. He didn't eat the donkey. But so... You're not supposed to touch something unclean. But it's talking talk, talk about the corpse. Talking about unclean corpse. And it's not the word touch like it says in our English. It's the word cling to. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that. So hopefully what we read in 2 Corinthians will answer your question. So look at 2 Corinthians starting in verse 16. It says, and what... A, did, I, did I say... 2, <laughs> 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> your mouth gets ahead of your brain. Don't <laughs> Verse 16 of chapter 6. So 2 Corinthians 6, 16. It says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As it, God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their donkey. I will be their God. And I, I had the word donkey in my head. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I was still thinking about your question. So, all right. I shall be their. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. That word touch literally comes from the word naga or naga, which means to cling to. So if you're clinging to something that's unclean, what's your, what is your attitude to God? God, I'm not letting it go. You can't make me get rid of this. So touching like, so if we can't touch a donkey, that means we can't touch a dog. We can't touch a cat. So we can't eat those things, but can we touch those things? Obviously, yeah, we're riding horses when we come back with the Lord in Revelation 19, but is it a dead horse? No, it's a living horse. So we don't touch the corpse of an unclean thing, therefore we become unclean. But when it's talking about clinging to something unclean, that's talking about your spiritual state. 
So if you're unwilling to let go of the unclean thing, what does that say about your, your spiritual state with God? It's not good. He's saying you're not willing to be obedient. Did that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Okay. So, Daniel. Yes, ma'am. So sorry, I have a question too. Yeah, go ahead. Talk about Hebrew parallelism. Yeah. And the fact that um, the eating of things that are unclean make our soul uh, makes our souls unclean. Would that be equivalent to it? It makes our souls abominable. Yes. Yeah. That was the verse right before we started reading. Yep. So yeah, in Leviticus 11. So we'll go. We'll flip back there. Yep. So, yep, verse 43, Susie, to answer your question, it says, You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps. You shall not make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. So, yeah, that's the parallelism. So, making your soul unclean would be making yourself abominable before God. Thank you, that's helpful. Not me. Not me. Okay. Can you have t do you have time for another quick question on the yeah. subject? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, I just uh, was at a restaurant, ordered a salad. Mm -hmm. They put uh, dried bacon bits in it, didn't know. I put it in my mouth. I realized it was there. I didn't eat. You know, I repented of not, like, being more deliberate about asking that type of question. Um, I know that's not a routine practice that I do. Right. Um, but... You know, based upon making your soul an abomination, it does give me pause a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. Anything else I should be like thinking or doing with respect to that? My, my, I mean, as far as like going to a restaurant, is that what you're talking about? Uh, well, that's just after the event. I mean, I, I you know, again, I you know, it's something I felt uh, bad and ashamed of that I didn't think about it and do it. Right. Um, but it's yeah. now occurred. I've done, I've prayed about it, I've repented about it, um, best I know how. Yeah, you know, when it comes to... It just strikes me that, you know, but when you talk about your souls now, an abomination, I know it's not like a continuous practice where I'm not seeking it out, I'm doing my best to make sure right. I'm not having that going on, but right. that, um, that language is rather profound and almost shocking. It, it is, it is, and it, it, it should cause you, like you said, it should cause you pause, you know, and when it comes to, you know, thinking about things that are unclean, you know, it's really where you run into a lot of difficulty is going to a restaurant. You know, like, like you said, the bacon bits put on the salad, you know, like going forward, you know, you'll be more inquisitive, hey, is there going to be bacon on this salad? But, you know, even stuff as much as like a grill you know if there's a grill this is me personally if i know that there is a grill that cooks pork alongside of chicken on the same grill i'm not going to order chicken because that pork is cooked on the same grill as that chicken so that's just you know that's helping me to not break that commandment the best I know how do we know everything that goes on in that kitchen we don't but I mean you know it's always good to to do research to look at what do restaurants put in their food so like for example 
um, P.F. Chang, which is a Chinese restaurant that my wife and I used to eat at, um, we did some research on some things that they put in their food, and almost every food item on the menu uses oyster sauce. Oyster sauce. You don't know that, but when you look at the the breakdown of what they put in their food, almost every, because they list it in their allergens list, like the shellfish allergens list, almost every food item except, I think, just plain boiled rice. Pretty much just boiled rice. So, you, I mean, how, how many of you want to go to a restaurant and eat boiled rice? I mean, I don't, but, you know, I do that at home. But you, those are just things you have to be careful of. And especially now, you know, that they're hiding different things within the ingredients list like when you see natural flavors on an ingredient list that could be a whole list of things that it could be it could be derived from a plant it could be derived from an unclean animal you don't know so it, that those are just things that I do that kind of safeguard my choices as far as food goes I know that was a very long-winded answer but I hope that answered your question no, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, Isaiah 66, 17, to give us a little bit more clarification on what it means to be abominable or the abomination. So Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, 16. We'll start at verse... Actually, we'll just start at verse 15. We'll start at verse 15. Why not? Let's just start at 14. Okay. All right, it says, When you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to His servants and his indignation to his enemies. How many different camps do we have here? We have two. We have two. We have his servants. We have his enemies. Who gets the indignation? That word is za'am. That's talking about tribulation. Who gets the wrath poured on them during the tribulation period? His enemies. Verse 15 says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and render his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge who? All. All flesh. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. So here's the list. You do not want to be on this list. Verse 17. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. Has this happened yet? Not yet. But it will happen. So what's the moral of verse 17? Do you want to be eating a ham sandwich when the Lord comes back? You do not. Do you want to be anything that Leviticus, eating anything that Leviticus 11 calls an abomination? And who would eat a mouse? But so... This just, you know, like what was mentioned, this should give us pause. If this is what God, I mean, God is saying, these people are going to receive my fire and my judgment. 
Those are things that should give us pause and make us go, hmm, I probably should not be doing this. How many of you have read this verse to people and they just look at you and go, Eh. So, right. right, so, so, that's the Old Testament. Well, if it's Old Testament, why is it have? Why has it not happened yet? It'll never fail. So, I mean, it doesn't matter how much you say this scripture doesn't apply to me or this scripture is abolished. It's not abolished in the eyes of God, and it will happen. All right. So we've talked about loving the Lord. We've talked about fearing the Lord. We've talked about walking in His ways. Now we're going to talk about what it means to serve Him with the whole heart and with the whole soul. Go to Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11. Talking about serving the Lord. Verse 13, Deuteronomy 11:13, it says, And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with your whole heart, with your heart and with all your soul, then. Notice there's an if then. If you do this, then I will do this. Verse 14, Then I will give you the rain in your, for your land in its season, the early and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. Verse 15, it says, And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, and you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and He shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. The word serve in verse 13 and verse 16 is the Hebrew word avad, A-V-A-D, avad. And it's uh, Strong's word uh, 5647. And avad means to do somebody's work, to work for them. Because the Hebrew word for a slave is evid. So, to, so the word avad means to do somebody's work. So when God says to worship or to serve other gods, that means that you're obeying their commandments. And the other gods, what were their commandments? They were not godly commandments. They were not godly commandments. So God is saying, you, you need to serve me. You need to do what I'm asking you to do with all your heart and with all your soul. And in verse 16, where it says to serve other gods and worship them. Do you see the word worship in verse 16? That word in Hebrew is shacha, S-H-A-C-H-A-H. Hebrew word 7812, and it literally means to bow down. To bow down. So, it's more than just doing the work of the other God. The Lord is saying, don't, eat, don't bow down to them, don't worship them. That's what He's saying. 
Yes, yes, ma'am. You're talking about bowing down at the Christmas tree? You could look at it that way. You could look at it that way. All of them. <laughs> yep. We're in, we're in that season right now, aren't we? You know, it's just one continuous, you know, people look at them as different holidays, but in my mind, they're all, it's just one continuous pagan holiday until the next one begins. So. Do you mean all the holidays that are coming up? Mm hmm. Yep. Like How about how, Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, um, I think. Thanksgiving was like when it was a, the first Thanksgiving was like a, a modeled after tabernacles, so feast of tabernacles. So, you know, depending on where you look, some people say, yeah, it's pagan. Some because you know talking about harvest festivals and all that, and then other people are like, no, it's not. So I mean, it's just, but I mean, the big obvious ones like Halloween, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, Christmas, you know, all of those, those are the, the, the big ones. You say obvious, but somebody's been arguing with me all week long that Halloween's not pagan. Really? Yeah, that surprised me too. What, what, was their, what was the reasoning? That is simply a day to honor the dead, like Memorial Day. Okay. It's got a lot deeper origins than that. Oh, yeah, it does. All right. Joshua 24, Joshua 24, talking about serving the Lord. All right, Joshua 24 says, Now therefore, so these are the words of Joshua, Now therefore, fear the Lord, Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." You know, I looked up the Hebrew for that phrase. But for me, but as for me and my house, it doesn't say exactly that. It literally says, and I and my house. So he's, Joshua is saying, I and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it essentially says the same thing, but it just says, and I and my house will serve the Lord. Verse 6, yes. What verse did you start in? Verse 14, Joshua 24, 14. Thank you. You're welcome. Verse 16, it says, So the people answered and said, Chalilah. What's that mean? Mejanoito. May it never be. Far be it. So they're saying, It ain't never going to happen. Never, 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 never going to happen. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the, pe 
people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelled in the land. We will serve the Lord, for He is our God. So they're saying pretty much, it ain't never going to happen. We're going to serve the Lord no matter what. Mejinoito. Far be it from us. If you're wondering what Mejinoito means, Mejinoito is God forbid. So they're pretty much saying, Joshua, it's not going to happen. We're going to serve the Lord. But look at Joshua's response. He can see right through it. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord. It literally says you will not be able to serve the Lord. For He is a holy God. What's He saying to them? You're not sanctified. You're not set apart. You're not going to be able to serve the Lord because of the sin that you still have in your life. You're still holding on to those idols. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Does that sound like Proverbs 28.9? If they're walking in lawlessness, is God going to hear their prayers? No. Verse 20, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. So they said they were. They were going to do it. They said, we're going to serve the Lord. And in serving the Lord, what does that also entail? You're going to teach it to who? You're going to teach it to your children. All right, flip the page, about two pages. Go to Judges chapter 2. I, I mentioned it earlier, but I didn't show it to you. So Joshua, in Joshua 24, Joshua was about to die. He was 110 years old. He was about to die. Look at Judges chapter 2, verse 10. So this is right after the death of Joshua. Verse 10 says, in Judges chapter 2, it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who, what? Did not know the Lord, nor the work which He had done for Israel. Verse 11, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So how many generations are we after Joshua? One generation. One generation. And they've already fallen into pagan and idol worship. Can we go back to Joshua 24 for a minute? Uh-huh. Joshua 24. Yeah, you stopped in verse 22, but look at verse 23. And the word are instead of were. Yep. Verse 23. Joshua 24, 23. It says, Now therefore, he said... Put away the foreign gods which are among you. Does that say the foreign gods which were among you? No. No. That means they are currently here. They're saying we will serve the Lord. While, the, while they're holding, yeah, while they're holding an idol in both under both arms, yeah. And incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, "The Lord is our God. The Lord our God. We will serve in His voice." we will obey. In the back of Joshua's mind, if we could see Joshua in a little thought bubble above his head, he'd be going, yeah, right. Yeah, right. All right. Daniel? Yes. In Deuteronomy 32, uh, Moses taught them a song 
and God had told Moses that they're going to forsake me. I already know that in the future, so I want you to teach this song to them. Yes. So it'll be a witness against them. Yep. And it talks about in verse uh, 32 6, it says they provoked the jealousy with foreign God. So yep. they were supposed to sing this song that Moses taught it to the children to sing, and that song itself witnessed and testified against them that they, didn't, they weren't going to follow. That's it. And it says they were supposed to sing this song, right? They were supposed to sing it and and sing the words of it. So what's that? What does that tell you? If you don't keep those things at the forefront of your mind and continuously do them, it just falls off the rails, doesn't it? All right, First Samuel. Thank you, Rachel. First Samuel chapter twelve. First Samuel chapter twelve. Verses 24 and 25. We were here just a moment ago talking about the, the charge of Samuel to the people of Israel. Saying, be careful with this king. Verse 24, 1 Samuel 12, 24, it says, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in what? In truth, according to the Scriptures, according to the Torah, with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. That word consider literally means see. So Samuel is saying, look around and see what the, God, what the Lord has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Is that, is that a maybe? You may be swept away? No, you will be swept away. And we read about it in 2 Kings chapter 17. Alright, 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 28. Verses 9 and 10. Chapter 28. 1 Chronicles 28. Verses 9 and 10. Yes. I just wanted to point out that the reason they wanted the king is because they didn't want Samuel's sons to reign over them because they weren't walking in God's ways either. Right. So, hey, if we pick who we want, then this guy will be the right guy, right? But how did that, how'd that work for him? It's hard to see that even a godly man who does God's work, his kids don't follow the Lord either. Right. Right. No matter how... What, but, you know, what does that scripture in Proverbs say? Teach them the way they should go? You know? So, I mean, that's you just you can only do as much as you can do. You teach them the ways, but everyone has free will. So, you're right. All right, 1 Chronicles 28, starting in verse 9, it says, As for you, my son Solomon, this is David talking, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. The word know and serve are both commands. So, David is charging Solomon. So it says, Know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intent of your thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So he's saying... 
look back in verse 9. He says, if you, if you forsake him, you will be cast off forever. Too bad the Bible does not tell us what it means to forsake the Lord. Or does it? Where is it at? Deuteronomy 8. We'll look, at, we'll look there in just a minute. I want to go. Yeah, well, let's just look there first. Go to Deuteronomy 8, and then we're going to go to Jeremiah 16. Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8 uses the word forget. Jeremiah uses the word forsake. So we're going to look at both what it means to forget the Lord and what it means to forsake the Lord. Deuteronomy 8 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. By, that means here's how you do it. By not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes, which I command you today. So how do you forget the Lord according to the Lord Himself? By forgetting His commandments. By not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes. Alright, go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 16. Jeremiah 16, verses 10 through 13. Because this talks about what it means to forsake the Lord. Verse 10 says, Jeremiah 16, 10, it says, And it shall be when you show this people all these words, and they say to you... Alright, do you see the word show? That word show is the Hebrew word nagad. It means to make blatantly obvious. It says when you make blatantly obvious, that means you're, not gonna, you're just going to lay it out here and make it as plain as day. When you show the people all these words and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we've committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord. They have walked after other gods and have served them and worshipped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. So what is God telling the people? What is he making blatantly obvious to the people? You have forsaken me by not keeping my law. And verse 12 says, And you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, each one follows the dictates or the stubbornness of his own evil heart, so that no one listens to me. Therefore I will cast you out of this land into a land that you do not know, neither you nor your fathers, and there you will serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. So, forsaking God all ties back to not keeping His commandments. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line of it all. And it said back in 1 Chronicles 28, David told Solomon, he said, if you forsake the Lord, He will cast you off forever. Is that a, is that a veiled threat? No. Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Matthew 4.
Matthew 4, verse 10 says, Then Yeshua said to him, talking about Satan, it says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. So where is Messiah quoting from right here in verse 10? Deuteronomy 6, yep. Deuteronomy 6. So he says, the Lord your God is the only one you shall serve. So this is the, if we look back at the Hebrew, it would be the word avad. So to serve, to do the will of that particular one that you're calling God. Acts 24. Acts 24. 24.14 So this is Paul talking before Felix. Paul says, But this I confess to you. Acts 24.14 It says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, Believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. So you see the word worship. So I worship the God of my fathers. That's the word from uh, where we get the word avad. So that means so you could take out worship and put serve. So I serve the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And that word believing, that's a present participle. That's ongoing, continuous action. So did Paul believe the law and the prophets until he met the Lord on the road to Damascus and then say, I'm putting all that stuff aside? Or did he continue believing in the law and the prophets? Because what do the law and the prophets teach? They teach all about Messiah. Because, let me prove that. Go back to Luke 24. Somebody might say, well, how do you know? Let's go back to Luke 24. Luke 24, 27. Let's start at verse 25 because I like how he rebukes the two people. Luke 24, 25. Then he, talking about Messiah, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses, what is Moses? That's the law. And all the prophets, He expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So when Messiah was, was teaching the men on the road to Emmaus about Himself, did He go to the New Testament? Did he say, all right, I want you to flip to the book of Matthew. I want you to flip to the book of Acts. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Go to 2 Thessalonians. Now go to 1 Corinthians. No, where did he go? He went to the law and he went to the prophets. And here's another thing. Look at verse 27. It says, he expounded to them in all the what? Scriptures. In all the scriptures. Go to 2 Timothy. Verse 44. Back in Luke 24, before we go, it says, Then he, talking about Messiah, said to them, talking about the disciples, says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled. That word is plurao. 
which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Luke 24, 44. It says, All the things which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So, the law, the prophets, the Psalms all teach about Messiah. You know, the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament. Or what we call the Old Testament. And in verse 45 it says, And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend what? The Scriptures. So the Scriptures ties right back to the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Now let's go to 2 Timothy. Just really quick on this point. Maybe not really quick, but... 2 Timothy 3. Because Paul said back in Acts 24, he said, I believe, I'm still believing in everything that's written in the law and all the prophets. And we looked at why in Luke. It says because all those things teach about the Lord. They all teach about Messiah. So if we say those things are abolished, then what are we taking away? We're taking away the building blocks. We're taking away the things which teach us about Messiah. 2 Timothy 3, 14. This is, this is Paul talking to Timothy. He said, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the what? Holy Scriptures. What did Luke 24 call the Scriptures? The Law, the Prophets, the Psalms. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Messiah Yeshua. So this tells you right here, do you need the New Testament to help bring you to the Lord. You need, it says, you could use the Scriptures, the Old Testament, to teach somebody about Messiah. What did Philip teach the, um, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch from? Isaiah. Isaiah 53, and brought him to salvation. Verse 16, it says, All Scripture, that's every Scripture, is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. That means it comes out of the mouth of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. What does the word Torah mean? Does it mean law? It really means instruction. So, Scripture is given for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. That's all. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's one more place I want to take you before we end for today. And that's John chapter 10. Talking about the word Scripture. So Paul, in Acts 24, was talking about he believed all things which were written in the Law and the Prophets. What did Messiah call the Law and the Prophets? He called it Scripture. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy about Scripture? He said, Scripture can make you wise to salvation and it teaches you how to live. John chapter 10 tells you one more nugget about Scripture. That's it. Alright, John 10, 35. Do you see the parenthetical? The words that are in parentheses. If you're reading from a New King James, you'll see it. If you're not, then look on to somebody who has a King, New King James. 
John 10.35. This is Messiah talking. He says, If He called them gods to whom the Word of God came, and what's it say in the parenthetical? And the Scripture cannot be broken. So what does that mean? Every word, every word in the Scriptures, is it done away with? No. Has heaven and earth passed away yet? No. No. So that means that Scripture cannot be broken. So according to Messiah, according to Paul, what is Scripture? Scripture is the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. What do the New Testament books all do? They all complement the Scriptures. They teach us about Messiah through using the Scriptures of the Old Testament. And uh, Daniel, another another uh, scripture reference would be Matthew twenty four thirty five. Matthew twenty Matthew twenty four thirty five. Yep, we'll read that and then we'll be done for today. Matthew twenty four thirty five. Yep. Matthew twenty four thirty five. It says, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away." That's about as clear as it gets, isn't it? My words will not pass away. We'll pick up next time, Lord willing, in Revelation 22, still talking about what it means to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul.